0: Hi, welcome to Sportsy. Let's talk sports. Today we are going to talk to a friend uh, who has a transformation in his career from sports management to sports education. He had a dream job working with MLS on the fan development side, working with Pegums of the world and Kakas of the world. From there, he came to India, was heading a, a club, DSK Shivaji, and as a CEO, uh, had a great stint with them. And from there, Today, he is the program director for GISP uh, and also the Edu- head of education uh, for IoT. Please welcome Neil Shah. Hi, Neil. Good to see you on the, uh, on the virtual platform Sportsy, where we talk about sports uh, and we go with the line, let's talk sports. So, good to see you here.
1: Thanks so much, Suras. I appreciate you having me on.
0: So, for the viewers, uh, I, I, we will make sure that Neil introduced himself as well. But uh, just to give you an introduction, a great friend. Worked uh, met with him during his uh, CEO days of a uh, I League team DSK Shivajian, and then uh, from there uh, moved on to he became an academician and uh, working in the sports education market as well. Today we are going to talk to him about one of his uh, early life before he came to India, which is uh, about the football and that to MLS. Uh, so Neil, uh, if you can just give us some, a glimpse about your journey in MLS and uh, so it will be a really good uh, starter because people are very curious about MLS as a, as a game uh, because it's not a primary game in the US and still it has got the popularity over the time. Really want to hear from you.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, happy to talk about it. One of my favorite uh, topics to talk about. MLS is still very close to my heart, um, even since I've been away from the league office for a while. Um, I was one of those lucky people. When I was 16 years old, I it was very clear. My professional dream was to work for Major League Soccer. And um, MLS launched in 1996, and I was 16 then. And I thought, okay, for the next six years, all I'm going to do is develop myself attractive to somebody. I did a lot of interest. Eventually, I got to New Jersey, did my MBA in sports management, and got a job with Major league soccer. I got my game job. I was in the fan development department and it's called fan development because in 2002 you have to do a lot of development of fans, yes. not engagement. And um, you know the league was only six years old and as you rightly said soccer was not the number one sport in 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 the U.S. or North America. It wasn't even the number two or three sport, yes. and professionally it's probably number four or five and if you add university sports, college sports, it's, it's probably sports. number 10. So there was a lot of work to be done to develop a, a, a fan base. And that um, well, was something that I, it was part of my mandate, is to figure out how to get more people in, in, engaged in, this, in the, the league. So I, I really got to focus on two areas. One is relevance and one is relationship. Relationship or relevance is about helping our clubs ensure that their teams are relevant in their local communities. So I was at the league office in New York City. So all of the teams were essentially, I was working for all of them and figuring out how to get them more relevant how to be because if you're not the if you're not the american football team the nfl team the nba team or anything else it's you're not that relevant the newspapers aren't talking about you um it's not the taxi drivers aren't talking about you so how do you become relevant relationships is key because youth soccer was very popular in america youth soccer was something that we so and helping them become feel a part of the club as well. So my early stages at MLS was all about that. Is creating programs and partnerships to ensure more relevance and in relationships.
0: Interesting. So you spoke about uh, a sixteen-year-old getting involved with the sport and at the age of uh, probably uh, twenty, twenty-two uh, after your MBA, mm-hmm. uh, looking at area which never nobody thought of, like the fans mm-hmm. engagement or fan development was never, never was not even heard of because people, uh, in US. The the because the university sport and uh, the NFL and NBA I think the fans were developed uh, by default. It was not something a special effort had was taken. Mm-hmm. So, so was it different uh, because uh, people don't play soccer in the US after the uh, grassroots. At grassroots level, there is a lot of soccer, as you said, uh, but they don't pursue mm-hmm. that very much professionally during the college days because the scholarships are mainly towards basketball, baseball, and uh, football. So. What were the toughest challenges that you encountered uh, during the fan development days of MLS that let people know that this is a professional sport and can be played?
1: See, the thing is about the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball or even the NHL. These are uh, these these leagues. The, um, these athletes who are part of these leagues, they're considered the best in the world. So even if they're not all American, they're still the best basketball players in the world will come to North America to play basketball in the NBA, or the best um, baseball players in the world will come from wherever they're coming from to to America to play in North America to play baseball. When MLS was going on, you know, while football was being watched in 210 countries in the world, the players that were on the pitch in 2002, 2003, even later, were were not the best in the world. So which means that people in the U.S., were feeling like, what's the point of watching this? And uh, they're not necessarily uh, excited because they know they could just turn on the TV on a Saturday morning and, and, and watch Manchester United or FC Barcelona or uh, Juventus play, and they're, they're yeah. the best in the world. So I, I'm gonna spend 90 minutes to, or to two hours of my time I wanna watch. The other part of it was that football or soccer in America was also considered a foreign sport in a lot of ways. It wasn't really respected by the mainstream. By mainstream, mm-hmm. I mean editors of newspapers, um, chief marketing officers of corporates. Um, right. Mainstream just being the regular guy you or girl you see in a bar who be watching reruns of a New York Yankees Boston Red Sox game, but won't be watching a, a MLS playoff game even if their own home team is playing there. Oh. so when you, when you're not relevant, when you're not when you're not relevant or respected, it's very difficult to create um impactful and effective fan engagement and fan development initiatives because it gets bashed down right away so the first thing that we had to do is just be patient be patient and work with the smaller low-hanging fruit which to us was the youth soccer community the hispanics people from latin american countries who grew up around the sport who respect the sport and then that niche of 18 to 34 year olds who like watching european football but don't necessarily watch mls Try to get them in as well, but yeah. it wasn't. I'll tell you honestly, it was some of the the most um, humble, uh, humbling times of my entire life because <laughs> I am sitting in a top of a, I'm a, you know, official at a professional sports league in America. It's a dream job for so many. It's a dream job for me, but yeah. I would go out there in the in the country and get bashed and make fun of, saying, "Why don't you go get a job at the NFL? Why don't you get a job at the NBA? Way cooler." <laughs> and I would have to say, you know what? Uh, I love this sport. It's done so much for me. I want to help it grow so more people can have the uh, opportunity to be benefited, impacted the way that I have. So to answer your question, very it wasn't easy. But I think that in those times where it's a little harder, you have to be more creative. It's no different than coming right. to India and trying to promote football in a cricket yes. country. If it was um, a, a European country where soccer or football was the number one sport, it'd be a little bit easier in a lot of ways. And you have different That's- challenges. But it forced me to be very creative and innovative, which I brought over here to India as well. Yeah.
0: So, uh, frankly speaking, yes, I've been a football football, uh, fan or sports fan. Uh, The whole MLS struck me when David Beckham came to LA Galaxy. So, that that is where my followership for MLS happened. Actually, I came to know about uh, at at that level. Uh, And again, pardon my ignorance, but that is where the whole, because of the Beckham move. Uh, the, the thing happened. So, do you think uh, that MLS did good by uh, roping in the, the people who are like towards the retirement from the European side, the way uh, even ISL has done it? Do you think it actually helped? Because Rooney is now playing, it went back, obviously, but Beckham, there now he owns the team in, in Florida. But with those kind of aspects, mm-hmm. uh, did it help the sport? Yes, it's a good question. And and
1: I I believe in the concept of a marquee player or or designated player, as they call it in MLS. Mm -hmm. I do. But I believe that there's a time when it should come. So I don't believe in the concept of kind of what we did here in in India as well as bringing in marquee players too early in the league's existence. The reason why, and we saw it in MLS as well, we did bring in marquee players in the early years of Major League Soccer. What happens is those players are playing on in big uh, American football stadiums with sometimes mm-hmm. American football lines, the broadcast isn't that good, and the players around them are also not that great compared yeah. to their status so it doesn't really um, it's not the best advertisement for the league It's not so, so different in here where when the early stages of marquee players coming over from Europe to play in us or play in India, the environment wasn't so great that it was the best advertisement for the sport or the league in the country. Mm-hmm. When David Beckham came in, the league was 11 years old. The league had developed players like Landon Donovan, had helped the Marcus Beasley, Josie yes. Altidores, and others. The league had a number of soccer specific stadiums, stadiums that are built and designed only for for the sport of soccer, for yes. football. And the league had better broadcast deals and partners like Adidas and others who were invested in. Yeah. In, in the growth of, of America. So when David Beckham came over in 2007, it was the right thing. If he came over in 2001, it would have been a joke. You would have had a lot of people tune in to watch David Beckham kick, you know, uh, you know, curve a ball into, uh, on a free kick into the net. But when, what they see around him is not a very good advertisement for yes. why they should continue to tune in to MLS. In 2007, mm-hmm. when they turned on to watch LA Galaxy play Chelsea for David Beckham's first match, they're, they're seeing a beautiful Home Depot center. They're seeing a packed stadium, yeah. 27,000 people. They're seeing good players like Donovan and others around Beckham. Yes. They're seeing a good coach. Players who played in the World Cup. So I'd say that one is David Beckham definitely had an impact on... Anyways, one was just people like you sitting in India, said, you know, all of a sudden being aware of India. There would be probably many more cases, millions and millions and millions more people like you who liked the sport but probably didn't pay attention to MLS until Beckham yes. joined. Yes, Two is... Um, he brought a lot of mainstream interest in, in MLS. Up until that mm-hmm. point, the biggest story was Freddie Adu. Freddie Adu was a 14-year-old <laughs> who was signed by DC United. And unfortunately, that was the highlight of his career. That was our big story in, in MLS when I was there, up until David Beckham. And now David mm-hmm. Beckham comes, and everyone, like Jay, Jay Leno, David Letterman, all of these different mainstream um, personalities are talking yeah. about him and bringing, bringing LA Galaxy jerseys and other the third thing is ownership. If you see that after um, 2007, you know, there was a lot of more owners have come in, and that trend yes. is on. A lot of these rich billionaires who have invested in MLS have come in because not only did have David Beckham, but they started maybe noticing the league a little bit more because Beckham yeah. helped, and then sorted uh, Frank Lampard or uh, you know, uh, uh, Ibrahimovic or David Villa or Kaka, all those who came after him, they is, helped. Yeah. Finally, is that it helped with jersey sales and attendance. Those are two things that MLS struggled a little bit with in certain markets. But when Beckham came in, it really opened the floodgates for people to not only attend matches, but to buy buy jerseys, especially in LA. So all of that um, were some of the impact that I saw. I was fortunate enough to work with uh, David on a few different community projects in 2007. And it was amazing to see the kind of um, just impact an emotion that was surrounding him, and all of that are intangibles, but they're all there, and I think he really added to the glamour and the appeal of MLS. And I, I, I'm really happy that that happened.
0: Yeah, I think uh, what you mentioned was very apt, as as you said that uh, in India, the, I think the big uh, India got those uh, marquee players too early in the system, uh, and uh, it should have the maturity uh, would have been really, I think they would have waited, waited for the maturity to come in. But yeah, it, I, I, there's. It's all about the perception. It's the right and wrong. Yeah, it's, a, it's it, we we go in the back. Uh, we go back and then decide what is good and bad. But I think uh, for MLS, uh, yeah. Beckham worked, and a lot of things changed after that. And from there to women's football and the World Cup, I mm. think the uh, it, it's it's a great journey uh, about the American soccer. Uh, what we call football, it's American soccer. I think the journey was uh, is phenomenal in in the whole. Uh, do you think it has come to a, a mainstream now? Yes and no.
1: And it's, it's a it's a healthy debate to have because now they're heading towards 30 teams. It's, it's, the league is 25 years old. They're heading towards 30 teams. Markets like Atlanta are, are just unbelievable what they've, the stadium they have, that the team plays in, and also the kind of attendance figures they have. And even the brand value is, I think, upwards of $500 million in just a few years. You have markets like Portland and Seattle and Toronto and others that are extremely relevant in their cities. Um, Almost every team has a soccer-specific stadium or will have one very soon. And broadcast deals have gone way up as well. So, in one hand, yes, it's mainstream because in many markets, people talk about MLS. In many markets, people people young kids, like you know me, if I was growing up now, would aspire to play in MLS instead of just work for MLS. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of um, uh, you know more corporates and more newspaper space for MLS. Yes. However, we still MLS still has to compete with the behemoth of the NFL, the behemoth of the NBA the long history of, the, of Major League Baseball and really a behemoth as well because it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sport. It was America's pastime for so long and to some people it still is. Um, yeah. The NHL has had a long history as well in all of the university sports, as we said. So while, in my opinion, MLS is, is, a, is a huge success of where it was in 1996 and where it is in 2020, mm-hmm. but if you talk to the general person in America, the regular person who may or may not love Soccer or football, or maybe watch a little bit of European football during the World Cup, or sorry, during Champions League, or watch the World Cup. They may still say that I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think they've made it yet. But then, if you talk to a lot of other people in a lot of pockets, I would say that people the MLS has achieved incredible amounts of targets, and I would say that also it's um, it's one of the most I think the business model of MLS should be studied by many countries around the world because the business model is. Really, it's a single-entity model focused on controlled spending, focused on shared ownership of the league by the, owner, by the owners. So it's almost like what's best for the league is what's thought about and focused on. And ultimately, a league is a business. It needs to yeah. sustain itself. It needs that to is. expand and grow. MLS has proven that over many years. But it will take time for it to be as mainstream as an NBA or an NFL. Right. Um, because those are that have a lot longer history and a lot those are sports that are more american unfortunately considered american perceptually american yes. in a lot of ways as well yeah
0: and i think sometimes you also need to understand whether you you don't you're not running to be number 1 you are just trying to betterment of yourself i think that also can give better uh, opportunities Absolutely. for the industry that you are uh so uh, yes so uh, and also why these questions come in because the uh, us is known for uh the amazing packaging of everything that they do. Mm-hmm. So that is what the whole beauty is. Like they can, uh, we, we have known, uh, we have seen like uh, your your life in the US, my stay in US. I, every time I saw that, like, everything is packaged well. So I think yeah. that is where uh, they should they should see where it's going. As as we know in in football, a lot of uh, uh, technologies are coming into place because there there are. Uh, no fans in the stadium. Uh, so we are looking at empty stadiums uh, uh, pl- playing, uh, playing the role. So people are saying uh, no fans is still uh, is fine, but no game is a bigger issue. At least the game is happening, the betting industry works, the yeah. broadcaster industry works. So at least uh, there is a revenue coming into the sports at certain level. So what kind of technologies that you feel as, as a fan will really excite you? uh in in the current situation next six months one year kind of time frame
1: you know i think that the biggest technology that's going to excite me is and it's really not going to happen in the next just few months but i know it's out there is, is virtual reality um so in the let's say like i'll say short term and, and kind of longer term or more realistic shorter mm-hmm. term right now if i turn on a game yes you know you don't see fans even if they're fake fans or digitally enhanced fans. okay fine i'll see it but i'll kind of my mind knows this is not real yeah. um what I would want to see then is a little bit more maybe wearables or something that's unique that they're trying out that maybe they wouldn't have tried out so early, but there's mm-hmm. something that's going to help me feel more in a part of the game that's not part okay. really virtual reality as much as it is just a special camera that goes in. So I might not be watching the exact same Anfield um, that I was before where you have you know, real people singing You'll Never Walk Alone and, and, and that, 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 you know, the cops. In, in, as exciting and compact for people as it is, but I'm able to see something different, but I'm like, you know what? This is not just an inferior version of my last viewing experience. This is uh, something that's really cool and different in its own way. So in the yeah. short term, I'd like to feel uh, I'm getting something that I didn't get before in mm-hmm. the long run, longer run. You know, I don't know if you tried those Oculus um, virtual reality. Uh, I, I, I do I have know. it.
0: I, I have it. Yeah.
1: Okay. They're really, I mean, they're unbelievable. And I, I know, you know a lot of the, 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 what's available right now into technology and, and sports and around virtual reality. Um, I would love to see Oculus or somebody who produces something similar to be able to sell those at a reasonable rate for people around the world. And, and, and you know the Premier League, Bundesliga, MLS, or all the other leagues around the world to be able to move fast and providing the access for us to get that virtual reality experience. Because okay. what the, the research is showing for everyone right now, especially like yeah. the ones I've read in North America, people are not comfortable, even if, when it becomes um, safer, potentially safer to go into a, a stadium with 50, 60, 80,000 people. Um, many, many people, at least right now, are saying I'm not comfortable. I'd rather walk yeah. from home uh, in the comforts of my, my safe environment, my, my, you know, people that I know don't have coronavirus versus going into the, put myself into that kind of um, risk and so this is a time to introduce virtual reality to the masses um as fast as possible. And I'm excited yeah. for it because I again it goes back to is this just an inferior viewing experience or am I getting something new? And seeing um LA Galaxy play uh, LAFC in a half filled stadium for me is an inferior viewing experience and I'm watching That's it on TV. But if I see it now and I'm able to kind of see what um Carlos Vela and Chicharito are doing and 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 through a different type of lens. Yeah, I, I would find that kind of interesting and different and cool and make it a little bit more acceptable about these changes. Correct.
0: I think so. Yeah. So I was also going to say the same thing. Like VR is going to play the biggest role in the current situation. That in IPL, imagine I'm sitting next to Virat Kohli in the dugout and get the the, viewership, the 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 view from the dugout if I'm wearing the the goggles. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, uh, and I'm sure it will. It, uh, Apple is planning a big way because they acquired uh, NextVR recently for 100 million. So I think uh, NextVR had a, had really cool stuff on the on the sports VR uh, side, the, the content that they had on the NBA mainly. Uh, so mm. so that I'm, I'm sure that is what they're looking at. So uh, so Neil, from moving from the whole uh, the football side of your uh, journey, now coming to the journey of being an academician and uh, the uh, coming in the in the industry of sports education uh, with uh, gisd uh, and uh, you started with as a dsk uh, shivajan ceo you started with simverse as a, as a as a visiting faculty and from there to gisb director and starting the whole course and running it successfully is a third year and uh, really uh, congrats for that so how do you think that transformation happened for you was it mm-hmm. was it something that really uh, uh, Close to you, uh, that or it, it was a kind of natural thing happened without thinking much, or you actually took a thoughtful decision to be in the in the sports education side. It's something I think about a
1: lot, and um, it's something I'm and I appreciate the question because it's uh, it uh, forces or help, allows me to go back into my own mindset and heart set and, and and think about these these transitions in my life. Um, one of them being to move from the U.S. to India, and a big the second transition was getting married, you know, another transition is going from the football management side to the education side as well. And I, I would consider these up there, all three of these in that same world of big um, decisions that I've had to, to make that I've made in my life. And you and uh, Dr. Nimkar from um, Symbiosis, I, I'm very grateful too, because um, what's happened is that as many of us and including you said before your education yeah. time, I'm sure I got a lot of opportunities to do guest lectures. Right, And a guest lecture, I've done it in the U.S., I've done it in Europe, and I've done many in India. They're fantastic. It just fills yes, your ego, it's right? Fun. It's like the fun uncle syndrome. You walk into a yeah. classroom, you just share some stories about your life, about sports. People are very nice to you. The students take some pictures and selfies, and then you leave some <laughs> nice gift, and you go. And um, I started at, even at Symbiosis doing a guest lecture, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed campus. Yeah. I enjoyed it to students. And when I was offered the opportunity to teach uh, a couple of classes at Symbiosis, I recognized the, the difference in what it is to be a, a faculty, right? And, and mm-hmm. to deliver something and to be with those students every few days or whatever it might be, but for yeah. many hours, ensuring that they learn. And I, and I, when I would go home, back to uh, my house in Puna or, you know, my home in Mundwai. And I would be on the, the, you know, as the CEO of DSK Shivajan, I saw I had, there's highs in both. There's a yeah. high of running a professional football club and a Liverpool academy, which I yeah. love. And there was a high to teaching that I also found myself yeah. really enjoying. And then um, and as life was going on and as I was taking more classes, I recognized this education space is really calling to my heart. Um, I have been fortunate to have worked in the industry up at that point for about 17 years. I had um, done my MBA in sports management in the U.S. I'd been mentoring and counseling a lot of people working who want to work in sports in both India and the U.S. and, and even Europe. And I thought, you know what? I, if I'm going to really do something that I feel like is going to leave a legacy in India, especially, you know, I've been here for 10 years now, and I really want to leave a lasting impact I think the best way I can do that is to, to develop the next generation of leaders in sports yeah. and, 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 and to do it in a way that's industry designed, meaning that the industry designs and delivers the educational experience, because I feel like we're going to be serving the industry in the best way by giving them the, the most industry experience possible. So I learned a lot at Simbi and it just worked up at India on track, um, the parent company of GISB. Agora Modwell, who you know very well, and Vivek Sethi as well. They were both interested in this concept of an industry designed education platform. And we just put the two together and my passion for it and whatever experience I had, plus their, um, the width and breadth and depth of their company, nice. IOT, plus the great people they have in their management team. And when you put those things together with the commitment to create the best sports management education experience in Asia, it just happened. And it, it, yeah. it I, I'm the fortunate person to be the, program director and to help establish it. But I really feel like it can burst out of the industry because the industry we've we've all been talking about the need to have quality professionals join our companies where we don't have to teach them too much because they come in with that knowledge and network and attitude that you'd hope. And I feel that we've just created something that is offering what students want is job uh, access to a job in sports um, the best possible gate, uh, pathway, and we're created something what the industry wants is ready-made pack, uh, yeah. individuals to join their organization so i i honestly uh, my first job was my dream job at mls and i was 22 and now i'm 40 years old and i'm sitting as the program director of gisd i would say this is my equally dream job they're both absolutely amazing and I get to work with people like you and others who come in and teach our program and I just feel very um, blessed that I get to do this type of role um, in my life yeah
0: it's it's actually fun when when what you were saying I think I I, it it echoed my sentiment as well that that's what uh, the the ever young feel that you get while going there and uh, uh, it's it's kind of uh, it's not only about pampering your own ego by going there but it's also the knowledge sharing that you can do I think it, it feels good to uh, give it back. People look up to you and uh, you what you give. I think it, it's a phenomenal. I think what you are doing is, is a great job. With gaurav and uh, Vivek, I think that the team is amazing uh, to do that. Mm. Uh, so, in sports education side, uh, there are two segments to it. Uh, so, I want to ask you how it is sports education, uh, uh, professional education in sports is, is important for an athlete as a plan B. Uh, because that is one of the things, in fact right now i was reading uh, in the current off season the like season was not on the lot of nba players from uh, uh, the state golden state uh, mm-hmm. team actually ro- enrolled with uh, the stanford campus to do the small courses for the on the education side it it it, it has never happened before or never publicized before so if it is happening at that level where they they have understood the importance of playing game and the money is so much in india Except cricket, nobody has seen the money as of now. So how do you think the whole plan B uh, that, that can be derived for an athlete because of education?
1: Yeah, yeah, I know it's uh, also important. So one of the things when I was uh, running the, the Liverpool FCDSK Academy, so it was a, it was a um, full residential academy, as, as you know, Sid, and we had um, about 60 to 70 youth players. Uh, at least 14 to 18 that were living there and some were on scholarships and some were paying some money to be there but these were all school-aged youth and it was shocking to me the amount of parents who i would meet who um when they would come on campus to, to talk about the academy and i and they asked me about education and i or at least i would ask them what's the plan about education uh, Do you want to utilize our tuition and our system or are you going to do correspondence Many of the parents would say, no, 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 it's okay. Just let this, let my, I just want my child to play football. And this would be a 14 year old. And I was thinking, and I'm from the U.S. I'm from a place where this concept of student athlete is drilled into you. Yes. You're all, you're playing sports. And then you can, you also study and you go to university, many people. And they, for four years, they're playing sports every day. They're training or they're working yeah. out or doing something. And then they're also finishing their university degree. And then you could still become a professional athlete after that. Um, yes. And even for me, I mean, I always balance the, the, both of them. So it's not, it's not even just important, it's vital. The, there should not just be only sports and only education. I'll, I'll give you one quick, quick story. Um, when we were in the process of uh, working with FC Barcelona to set up the FC Biascola project here in India, this mm-hmm. was in trips that we were taking with the con- conscient group in 2010 and 2011 and when one of our first trips with the um directors of conscient group we went over there the head of fcb escola a person named jevi marseille he was giving us a tour of la Mafia. and we i was so excited i'm going to go to la Mafia. this is going to be my you know I, couldn't, I always wanted to go i wanted to see all these players training and when i went there there was nobody on the pitch and I think, where are all the footballers? I thought all the age groups would be training. And then we, we went into the, the clubhouse. They were all in classrooms. They each all from age 10 all the way to age uh, 18 were doing some sort of uh, education with tutors because it was their classroom time. And I was just amazed because it's like, you, know, you think football academies is all about football training, but to be a, a good player, you need both your body and your mind to be at its peak. The other thing is that you, it's so important to have a, it's not, it's, it's not just a plan B, it's the plan yes. afterwards. Yes. So even if you don't make it as a footballer, yes, it is a plan B. It's something you can do something in business or, or whatever it might be. But at some point you're going to stop playing. And not everyone who stops playing is going to want to be a coach.
0: Yes.
1: And I do believe that we require people who have experience in the game to be business-minded and to be able to or at least have the business management acumen to go and okay. be successful in in different areas of life and education at the right time gives you that foundation to learn i mean to mm-hmm. you of knowledge but it also gives you a discipline to learn that same mechanism that for has you uh, read an american football playbook and memorize it or re under- or, or yeah. study a lot of the best techniques for football uh, to to hit a free kick, or a basketball playbook, or a cricket playbook. You can you can actually just transfer that same discipline into the education field. It's just that sometimes an athlete thinks that there's a blind here. they're only on the athletic <laughs> side, and anything education is here. And I yeah. just think that they need the right men- mentorship when yes. they're younger to say that no, have a holistic learning. Got it. Focus on your athletics, don't ever sacrifice, but but don't turn off the education side as well. So okay. I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's it's vital. It's not even like an option. It, you have to, you should always study and play at the same time.
0: Right. And I think I I, I experienced that with my son in the Reliance Foundation, uh, mm. in, in Young Champ program. Like the importance given by uh, Nitamban is very clear about the importance given to academics and and football together. So they are training for many hours but the, the school is not a light school. It's a normal, proper school that uh, they have. So, as a, as a parent, sometime I feel, what is it? They're, 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 he's staying away from me and you're making him go to school for nine or eight hours as well. Let him play football. <laughs> Uh, but no, uh, but as a as a other side of side, I said yes. This is something which is important because that's where you build the holistic approach towards the whole thing. Uh, so we spoke about the grassroots, of the young age. Uh, how about the people who are in the older age and doing now want to do the MBA and those kind of degrees, mm. professional degrees? Uh, because a basic qualification is fine, but now we are talking about professional qualification which enables them. Or uh, why I am asking our athlete because uh, Dravid uh, Rahul Dravid uh, made a statement that. Uh, other than coaching the athlete, I think the employee, creating employability skills for the athlete is, is way more important in place like India. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. on those terms, how do you think that how many athletes actually approach you that I want to do an MBA, I want to do something for the future, and how important it is for them?
1: Yeah, I, I had a really good talk with uh, Subroto Paul. He actually joined me um, in one of our careers and sports sessions in Kolkata, which was a, a very special experience for me. And he, 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 I mean, he, for me, he, he represents a lot of those mature footballers um, in mm-hmm. the country yes. because they're they hitting that point where they're getting into that retirement age. They're still extremely um, successful on the pitch and, and, and have great abilities. But they're, they're gonna they're looking at their future. And Subrata was, was speaking to, to me, and I think I also connected him to you as well, about yes. opportunities to further his education because he did want to one day run a football club and, and, and give back to the sport Um, in the way that because the sport has done a lot for him I think the mature intelligent athletes are in that space right now where they're looking at um, the management versus the technical side there's nothing wrong with the technical side some people are just geared to be coaches and they're primed we need a lot of great coaches in India across all sports but we also need a lot of great general managers and CEOs and uh, heads of grassroots and heads of finance and legal. So my recommendation to every player that's potentially listening to this or friends of athletes is do what a lot of my um, kind of favorite players growing up in the US or even favorite players at MLS started to do, which I find very intelligent. So during the last few seasons, when they knew their retirement is coming very soon or potentially an injury or something else that might end their career, they did two things. One was that they were taking online classes um mm-hmm. at local um universities and the second thing that they were doing and these were very focused classes so you won't just pick it, i think a general mba is okay but at that stage if you're 25 or 35 or 30 you might say that you know what i'm clear i want to get straight into i want to do marketing right. i'm gonna I, or i want to be head of grassroots so you have to learn project management, maybe learn partnerships. So do something specific. I don't think a general MBA makes sense unless you're you're you just want to be a generalist at that point. Because that's correct. The second thing they were doing is they were starting to shadow um, the gen, the CEO of the club. So for example, uh, a player Danny Kennedy, who played for the LA Galaxy for a bit, he was shadowing the the the, the uh, GM, the president Chris Klein, who is also a former uh, MLS and US national team player. And I was so excited. I'm like, man, you're studying at USC, I believe at the time, Danny was. And then he was also shadowing the what? president of, the, of a professional franchise. In that process, and so they're basically mentoring him to take up some sort of leadership role yes. when he graduates. So the smart ones, when I was the CEO of uh, DSK, if one of our uh, senior players were ever to come up to me and say, hey, you know what, Neil, I would love to one day be a professional or a CEO of a club. Can, can you, can I just shadow you a little bit? Or can you just show me what you're working on? Like, the, can you show me the budget for the club? Or can you show me the, um, the marketing plan? I just want to yep. learn. I would be so thrilled to yes. provide that uh, learning. So they're getting a little bit of an MBA course for free in their own uh, campus while they're still able to uh, train and play for this team and get their salary. So my recommendation is use those, um, those benefits that you've earned, which is access to senior people in the industry, as mm-hmm. well as the online courses or maybe executive courses that are being offered.
0: Right. I think very well said. Uh, and uh, Subruto's example was pretty bang on the way when uh, in Symbiosis, we had Sandesh, right? Sandesh career after, after his professional I-League mm-hmm. career, he came for his MBA and now working in the sports industry in the management side. I think these are the things uh, which have really shown a great value. So uh, coming uh, almost coming to the closure of uh, our, our discussion, I think we both can keep on discussing this for long, but we need to have a logical yeah. pause somewhere. I, I don't say call call a stop, but pause somewhere. Uh, I wanted to know from you what are the as per you globally uh, because the world is opening up quite a bit. Uh, what are the straightforward opportunities or little hutke opportunities in sports uh, for people who want mm-hmm. to have a career?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's changing also because of COVID and, and, the, and the, the industry is slightly shifting, um, at least for now, and we don't know what it's going to look like in six months from now. But I would look at it from, from the two clear angles for me, and then there's probably a couple other um, ways to look at it. But one of them is content, content creation. Now, this is clearly a time where content is, is king. Um, we were online now we've always, we were online a lot before COVID and we're going to be online a lot later as well. So like what you're doing uh, in terms of creating unique content, like these conversations and a lot of the other great stuff that you're doing, content could be graphic design content could become video editing and putting together quick things, content could even be memes or having really great uh, Twitter posts or Insta, Insta posts or whatever it might be. But this is a time where if you can create content that you can engage Large amounts of people, many many uh, organizations in sport will be excited to have you join because right. ultimately we just want to expand our customer base, um, and if we can do it through unique content, and you can, and younger people are the ones who can really bring that because they're a yeah. lot more, a lot of times a lot more um, knowledgeable about the way different ways to engage people's content. The second way is just, and this is like uh, the easiest thing to say, the hardest thing to just do, but it's. All of us are in a time where we're really tight financially right now. Tight financially, when I say that, I mean, we've all taken a hit, mostly, yeah. um, unless there are certain unique organizations and unique industries where it's just thrived off of uh, the lockdown. Most of our businesses have, have slowed down or really got, uh, had a severe impact. Anybody who can help us figure out how to generate revenue, whether yeah. it's um, some basic business development, even a small, even one rupee, I'm going to take seriously. And if it could be, I'll take, for example, GISB. If somebody came to me and said, hey, you know what, Neil, Um, I heard about this really great online program that I think would be, if it's being offered in Sweden, uh, I, I think they do it in English. I think we can bring it to India. It's about scouting. Can we do it through GISB? I'll manage the relationship. And then I can even help you market it, because I know a lot of my friends want to do scouting. Even if I break even on that venture, um, I will love this person. I will hire that person because I'll know that, wow, what kind of initiative do that? So right now is the time to be innovative and creative to under help, under, help people understand how you can add value to them. If it, it doesn't always have to be financial, but if it, you're going to get fast tracked, if you can help somebody yeah. make money, because that's just the reality of life or business um, as right. well. Those are two. The, the third one is just technology in general. I think, uh, there's a lot of engineers probably listening to this and engineers that are out there who know a lot about technology but don't necessarily but also maybe don't want to work in that space forever they want to bring that into um, sport because maybe they also have a love for sports this is a time to try to help figure out how do we use technology to reduce costs or create innovations in our engagement with our customers as well so this is and what i'm trying to say is that this is not just one job out there Again, I'll use GISB. If you bring me a uh, technological innovation that's going to help me um, educate my students better at lower costs or not rely so heavily on um, visiting faculty or physical campus all the time, yes. I'm, I'm going to take you seriously. And if you can help me either make money or reduce costs or uh, provide better customer service, there's always going to be some job for somebody like that. And, um, right. So my biggest recommendation to everyone out there who's listening is, is don't think about it as like, oh, JSW Sports, I'll, uh, Bangalore, is my favorite team, I'm going to work for them. That's cool too. You can always dream or Manchester yeah. United my favorite team. i got to get a job with them. Think about these business needs right now in, this, in the area of business support mm-hmm. and how can you fill those needs in a way that's most comfortable and exciting for you. And if you can develop yourself in that way, I think you're going to be okay.
0: I think uh, you, you summarize pretty well uh, Instead of getting into the details of marketing, operations, and all the typical things. I think you summarize pretty well. One is content, one is technology, and one is yeah. where you, how are you going to contribute to my revenue? In return, I can give. Yeah. You can get a job, and we both say happy New Year at the end of the day. Exactly. Uh, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's you summarize pretty well. I, 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 it's, uh, this this question could have answered in uh, probably fifteen different career options, but I think you you uh, it, it the I that that's what I admire about uh, the way Neil is very clear on thought process and very concise in his answer. I think it was pretty good
1: most, uh, most of the time. I, my wife would tell you differently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, w-
0: whatever I get to see, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I think uh, Neil. I think it was wonderful having you on the on on this uh, and. Uh, uh, wish you all the best. I think we all are uh, having, looking forward to the sports to open up. Uh, we want the sport on the ground for us to enjoy sport at home uh, in multiple technology careers and everything. Because this is a time when even the parents are having little doubts about where the sports industry is going to go and should I mm-hmm. uh, should my kid take admission or not to take admission, all those things. So, uh, for any message for them uh, from your side? as I, I always say, yes, it, you have to play and the game is going to come back. So any message from your side when they're worried about their kids to have a career in sports?
1: Yeah, uh, I always use this um, 100,000-hour principle, right? Uh, You're going to work. Most of us, if we start working around 22, 23, and we retire at 65, we're going to work about 100,000 hours of our life. And you might as well enjoy as many of those hours as possible. This is a tough time it is but it's not just a tough time in sports this is a tough time in every industry in the world yes. so if you're gonna gear yourself up towards something uh for those hundred thousand hours you might as well prime yourself to get a job in an area of life that you're most excited about that's gonna make sure that you enjoy as many of those hours so the other thing i'll say in that particular thing is, once you follow your heart that's good but figure out what is your point of differentiation yes. there are hundreds of millions of people who are trying to get jobs in sports or media entertainment. They're all out there in the world. Oh, oh. Think about who you are. Who is Siddharth Deshmukh? Who is Neil Shah? Who, is, who are you out there listening? And what is going to make me attractive? How can I leverage my skills, my strengths, my knowledge, my network to be attractive to the industry? And I think that's the time now when the lockdown is going on or things are a little slower than maybe they normally are to, to figure out what makes me special and and how can i keep building on that and how can i use that to serve the industry that's going to help you get your foot in the door a lot faster but definitely follow your heart don't don't jump ship because you're scared
0: yes i think uh that is what we've been doing following our heart and uh and just uh looking forward to the 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 amazing thing that industry has to give it to give it back to us and how we can contribute i think it's it's a base it's a, it's a it's probably the best decision of my life when I moved from the IT to, uh, to sports eight, eight, nine years back. So with that, uh, Neil, really appreciate your time. And it was fun chatting with you and uh, looking forward to see you soon uh, in person uh, and not, not on the Zoom call. So yeah, looking forward to that. Absolutely. Thanks so much. This
1: was a great conversation yeah. and uh, we'll definitely have you in the GISB campus in Mumbai as soon as it's like yes. that. So, uh, keep doing looking the great work you're doing.